What up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to the meaning stream. And uh, a very special Meaning Wave Live event. It's Meaning Crisis and Show number three by Joe. Smash that like if you're locked in live. If you're on the replay, strap in. And if you're eager to get after it, there's a timestamp in the description of this broadcast that should get you to where you want to go. If you want to skip the intro and get straight after it, you replay people, yeah? God bless. Whoa! Meaning Crisis and Chill on the Meaning Stream. We're going to be live scoring John Viveki's epic. Tonight we're doing number three, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, Continuous Cosmos and Modern World Grammar. As we trace the history of consciousness with a beautiful soundtrack. Welcome to the Meaning Stream, brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful day to be alive here at the peak of recorded human civilization. I'm your host, Akira the Don, artist, wave lord, architect of the Meaning Wave universe. Welcome aboard the good ship Wave Rider. 
We're going deep. Yow! Like we always do it this time. Yo. How you doing out there? How's your day, baby? How you feeling? Are you excited for tonight's show? Are you excited for tonight's for uh, you know epic activities? Epic activities? Epic activities. I'd like to welcome new member. We got a new member. Michael Robots. I feel Michael Robots. Surely you've been a member already. Welcome to level one. You get access to all the cool emojis. You get to download that new Ghibli mix we just dropped uh, up there on the members tab. What up, Alec Moran? Good to see you, baby. Said vinyl campaign posters arrived today. Finding frames. Oh boy! Those very last bits of the vinyl campaign, the posters. Shouts out to everyone who got their vinyl campaign stuff. What up, Bob L. Fishman? Appreciate you, baby. Vinyl campaign stuff. Come on. Michael Robot says, yeah, I keep joining. He just likes that joining moment. You know, the moment of, hey, I've joined. I'm here. I'm, an, I'm a member of a thing that is cool. I mean, that's a special feeling. And some would say you only get that once. No, not if you're, not if you're Michael Robards. You get that many times. Robert Easy says, I'm excited for tonight. Zach Souser says, bop, 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 bop. That's me on the Meaning Wave Morning Show when people drop in bits. Bop, bop. We're on the Meaning Wave Evening Show right now. Daniel Pessy says, what is that score to? I love it. Hey, Akira. Says Cassidy Smith. Two different people saying different things. Uh, the music you're listening to right now is the instrumental uh, of Cosmic Order from the... Joseph Campbell album. It's on the instrumental album, Mythological Beats. Which is a wash with bangers. Speaking of bangers, bang that like. Bang that like by Joe. Oh no, I don't have any water. What am I going to do? This is a disaster. Hmm. I know what I'll do. I'll put on a song, and then I'll go get some water, and then we'll get after it. Yeah. The man became aware. It was a movement of the planets. See the fixed stars of a cosmic order. You dig.
Exclusive for you from the unreleased Joseph Campbell LP. You know what I mean? I can't be like leaving you for 32 seconds to go and get water and not give you something powerful. Come on. What kind of a friendly neighborhood wavelord would I be? What is going on, baby? Shouts out to the whole Meaning Wave Autonomous Zone locked in. We're doing Meaning Crisis and Chill tonight. We're going to be live scoring John Viveki, uh, world famous uh, epic Canadian of the world famous epic Canadian squad. Famous epic Canadian squad. Uh, you know, it's a gang of them, baby. It's a gang. One of these days, I might do some kind of a, a list slash project or something. You know, just like assemble all the Canadians. Canadian super gang assembled by Joe. Woo. Do me a favor if you're locked in live in the chat, just drop some, drop some, drop the names of some epic Canadians. Let's celebrate Canadians while while we're alive and while they're alive. Shouts out to all the epic Canadians. Too many to mention, frankly. Too many epic Canadians. Shouts out to Chili Gonzalez. Yeah. Shouts out to N-O-R-M. Cedric uh, Sanchez says, is there any other kind of Canadian squad? Well, I did discover that there is such a thing as a, an unwavy Canadian. I discovered an unwavy Canadian. Uh, the person who wrote that Starfire's daughter 
comic that we were uh, laughing at the other week. Uh, the self-insert of the uh, DC comic. Someone's written a DC comic young n- young adult novel. And like uh, it's about the daughter of a superhero and the daughter of the superhero is like this angry, dumpy goth who hates her mother who's beautiful and like is... is, is... Anyway, it's a complete self-insert. And uh, the writer uh, is Canadian. <gasps> I was quite shocked. I thought all Canadians were really cool, but of course, there must be balance in the force. Of course, there has to be a dark side of Canadians also. Uh, Adam says, Trudeau is an unwavy Canadian. Yeah, I always thought that was the exception that proved the rule. I thought Canadians were just so nice, there was one one um, moron, <laughs> and they made that one the Prime Minister. Um, anyway, one, one, one weird guy who just loves doing blackface, you know, just loves doing blackface. Like, let's make him the the uh, the prime minister, you know? And uh, he can decide who builds the bridges and what bridges get built. Blame Canada, says Biological Bootload. Uh, yeah. D-Man says, I respect the maple tree. Uh, Beta123 says, Justin Bieber. Shouts out to Justin Bieber. He's a really good drummer. What a great drummer. Matt Carter says Jim Carrey. Uh, is he Canadian? I didn't know that. Remember Stimes says Michael Keith. <laughs> Canal says uh, Akira, I really loved your Jordan Peterson albums. You planning on doing anything like that in the future? When you mean when you say like that, do you mean an album with Jordan Peterson? If that's what you mean, then the answer is yes, there's a new one coming out in January. First single January 1st, second single January uh, 8th, uh, third single January 15th, then the album on January 23rd. Uh, There will be an accompanying vinyl campaign. So get ready baby, JBP Wave January is coming. JBP Wave January baby is JBP Wave season. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yo. So Duterte says, blame Canada, our home and native land. True patriot love that dust in us, man. Yo, shout out to Canada. Uh, I got some questions I got to answer. I keep forgetting I've got to ask Akira section in the Discord. Uh, and I just remembered. So I'll answer some questions from there. Uh, NS says, uh, I didn't know YouTube blacklisted us. Is this a comment? Question? Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Alexander the Delusional. Hey, Akira, I know you're not a huge listener of Pink Floyd. Do you? Do you know that? Is that a thing you know? Hmm. Uh, At the same time, I have a request. Could you do a reaction video or similar for it? I have two, three key reasons to advocate for this. One, I believe the album is an interesting cusp piece between the psychedelic and emo epochs musically, especially when compared to earlier works. Two, it's from what I understand one of the earlier uses of sampling that was notably successful. Uh, Which Pink Floyd album do you mean? Um, The trouble with doing reaction videos for albums is you get yeeted off YouTube. I don't know about I don't know if Pink Floyd gets you eaten off YouTube or not. It's like basically thirty percent of music does. And uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. To be honest, uh, lots of things that uh, desire my uh, attention. And uh, there's many albums that need making and things of that nature. Therefore, uh, filming a reaction video for a Pink Floyd album is probably quite low on my list of shit that needs to be done in this lifetime. Though it sounds like something fun to do on acid. Maybe when I'm an old man, I always thought, you know, like sort of heavy psychedelic use was for the, for the very young and the very old, like as in 
not very young, not like six-year-olds. But you know, when you're a young man or a young woman and you like don't have a, a family yet and stuff, you know, you don't have those responsibilities, uh, you can do some in interdimensional exploration, you know, and you're not going to be hurting anybody. And you're not going to be ruining your life. You know, in the middle, uh, it's a bit more difficult for a lot of people. They have responsibilities. They have things to do. You can't be tripping balls when your son's running around trying to, you know, uh, exist, you know. Uh, but when you're old, you know, when you're an old-ass man or an old-ass lady or an old-ass lady man, uh, that is the time, I would say, to really get after it in the psychonaut realms, you know. And uh, that's probably the time to film reaction videos for Pink Floyd albums. So maybe when I'm an old-ass man, I will do that, Alexander the Delusional. And thank you for your question. How about that? Festive Spaghetti says, I was thinking I might do some animation over top one of the Scott Adams tracks. I don't plan on making any money or anything with it. Am I allowed to use it if I credit Akira? I've been interested in learning skill and had a cool visual idea for the mating process song. Of course you can. That would be wonderful. And why don't you send it to me? And if I like it, I would I would upload it uh, to, to my various places of upload. How about that? Uh, if anyone wants to make some cool visual stuff to any of our songs, they're very, very welcome. And uh, please do send it through. And uh, if, it, if it fits the Meaning Wave world aesthetic, then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll distribute it. How about that? And uh, anyone who wants to use our music is very, very welcome to do so. Uh, my in I have instructed our distributor not to strike anybody who uses our stuff. So we will not strike you for using any of our music. Uh, if you use it when you're streaming or in your YouTube videos or whatever it is. How about that? Speaking of which, Jolly Roger says, Akira songs vibe well with my way of thinking in life. Would it be all right if I stream your tracks on my TTV while I do art streams? TTV. Yes, is the answer. I don't know what TTV is. Is it Twitch? I don't know. With an extra T. But you are very, very welcome to do that. And frankly, uh, I'm grateful that you uh, enjoy the music and, and uh, share it, you know? So thank you. Searching for that feeling, baby. Um, Riley the Third says, Hey, Akira the Don and Discord Hero Alex, I noticed that a lot of the earlier episodes from the podcast stream are missing on Spotify. Really? Specifically, I wanted to re-listen to Meaning Stream 114, Summertime Synthwave. Do you have an MP3 download of it? Uh, some of the ones I found online have a scratchy quality. That's, I I don't know. I thought they were all up there. I thought they were all up there. Uh, Discord Hero Alex, uh, when you have a moment, could you do an audit of the uh, of the uh, the blah, 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 podcast feed? And uh, make note of any missing episodes. And uh, I have the files for all of them so we could get any missing ones. Uh, uploaded and uh, yeah that definitely should be a complete collection and apologize to anyone apologies to anyone who's been looking for a, a meaning stream and couldn't find the meaning stream they wanted you know and uh, God bless you uh, yeah that's the dis ask Akira in the discord I'll be paying attention to that more from now on and I will answer the questions on streams Pium, how about that and you know one of these days maybe we'll have another episode of ask Akira we used to do that once a week shouts out to the old-school gang who remembers those days who remembers the Ask Akira days by Joe? Do you know what's funny about that? I was doing that for a while and then I stopped because doing one stream a week seemed like an awful lot of time and stress and I thought my time would probably be better spent making music. Now I do two streams a day every day. I was so stressed out at that point. You try, I was like, I was such a noob, you know. I was trying to do streams and there'd be all these problems, you know. Uh, then I started doing this daily thing and I had like 
months and months and months and months of problems. And eventually you get to a point where pretty much every problem, touch wood, have no wood, touch meaning wave monolith, every problem that exists in streaming has presented itself and you've worked out the solution. And next time problems emerge, they're not problems anymore. They're things you know how to, how to deal with, you know? They're just uh, things. And you deal with them, you know? That's the beautiful thing about throwing yourself in a, the deep end. And that's the beautiful thing about doing on the job, you know? Doing on the job is personally it's the only way I ever do things. You know, I don't sit there working out in advance, reading manuals. I just do the thing and work it out. When I'm making music, if I'm introducing a new piece of software or a new instrument or something, I just like have a song. I'm like, okay, I'm going to use this in this song. And I'll just force myself to work it out in the context of creating the song. And then by the end of the song, I'll know how to do the thing. And boom, there's another new skill, baby. And I do it with the streams. I add something new to the streams pretty much all the time. All the time I'm adding new things, new processes, new backends, things of that nature. Today, by today, by Joe, I was working on a little system of getting Christmas lights on the stream. When we want to get a bit Christmasier, closer to Christmas. Hey, hey, Sammy Edwards says, unfortunately, I can't send hams via P.O. boxes. Well, that is very unfortunate that you can't send a ham via a P.O. box because we've got a P.O. box address uh, at meaningwave.com slash pages slash donate. And you could have sent us a ham. But you can't, because you can't send hams to P.O. boxes. I don't know why. I don't know if that's a law. Uh, I don't know if that's a... You know, I don't know if that's a cosmic law or a real law or what, but... Yeah, no hams through P.O. boxes. What a tragedy. Everybody loves a P.O. box in their ham or a ham in their P.O. box, don't they? Yes, they do. Uh, anyway... We're about to get after it and go in and get on. <laughs> do this thing. Yeah. Uh, Shouts out to everyone locked in. We're going to do the international high five in a minute. Let me just quickly uh, look around the chat and see if I'm missing anything important. Actually, here's the, thing. Uh, here's the question. I can't look at all the chat. There's too much chat. Twitch Hero Alex, am I missing anything important? YouTube Hero Alex, am I missing anything important? Uh, let me know. Uh, Word X Pieces, what about green eggs? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I am with uh, homeboy who Sam I am was trying to convince. I ain't about a green egg life baby green eggs sounds disgusting i ain't having it not in a box not with a fox and uh nowhere else neither not having it no thank you very much yeah dig tape damage says hell yeah bless yeah gonna be incorporating some of these awesome tracks in my vids much thanks akira shouts out to you baby boom 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 by the way here's a little pro tip Pro tip, right, if you're going to be using music in a YouTube video or something, uh, just just make the music into a tiny little video that's like, you know, 20, you know, a tiny video that doesn't take any time to upload or render, just a black screen, and upload it to YouTube um, back end, you know, before, before you even use it, just to check, because sometimes you get erroneous copyright strikes. Sometimes uh, EMI will claim one of my songs, for example, I've had that happen. So if I was to leave it to the last minute to upload an album and then EMI claims it right at the last minute, even though it's completely mine, uh, then I have to counter claim, then I have to, sorry, then I have to say, no, I do have the rights to this. And it'll take like two weeks for it to come through and then you miss your, miss your ad revenue and sometimes it can mess with your distribution. Uh, so pro tip, always do that. If you, if, if you have a timeline, if you're working on a video and it's not going to come out for a week or something or even a couple of days, just try uploading the music on its own first behind the scene just to see that it goes through. And uh, if there's an issue with it, uh, then try something else 
or just know that that's going to be the case you're going to need to upload your video early and then you're going to have to do the thing where you say no youtube i have rights to this music and then they take a week and say oh yeah you do usually that's what happens usually that's what happens occasionally you get some weird shit like i had with lo-fi christmas too uh which was all produced by me and was all my music and uh emi claimed one of the videos and they had no claim on it but they claimed it and i said bugger you that's mines and they said bugger you we taking it anyway and youtube said if you want to hire a lawyer be our guest so yeah you know sometimes it go that way you know, we're in the early days of the internet, you know? It's, it's still like Wild West territories out here, baby. You just gotta bet that shit in my hand. Anyway, we're going in, we're going in, we're going in. We're about to do this thing. So before we do that, let's do the international high five. And uh, for the international high five today, my interesting question is this. Uh, where on God's green earth are you? And uh, what do you look forward to about being old? Like I said, I look forward to being old because there'll be no reason not to do shitloads of psychedelics. That's one good reason to be old. Hey! Daniel Pensy, South Carolina. I was about to say tripping balls and exploring the cosmos. But you stole it. Hey, baby, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Adam says, I look forward to holding my pee in for the international high five. Ha, <laughs> what? Sergio says, squats in the basement. I'm old. Squats in the basement. Milk game for breakfast. Yikes. Adam Montana. I look forward to pulling dementia pranks. <laughs> Me too. Ambrazinamaha. Southern Oregon, USA. Looking forward to getting healthier and more youthful. Hey, this guy got it sussed. Sheila Ferreira. Nashville. To yell at kids uh, to get off of my lawn. That will be joyful. Menacing children with shotguns. Wonderful part of being old. John Hannibal Smith, Space Federation, Mars Base, yell at clouds like Grandpa Abe Simpson. Yes. What up, Ganj Guru? In the house says, I'm back, lol. What you laughing at, Ganj Guru? What's so amusing? What have you been up to? Is it legal? Better be. Wholesome activities only over here. Hey, Amanda Slice Sanity, Caddy, looking forward to them earaches. I listen to music all loud. <laughs> Triad, I look forward to being old for the wisdom I gain along the way and the excuse to be cranky. Cranky, uh. Speaking of which, I spoke with my old man today. That was nice. Uh, he hasn't changed a bit. God bless him. God bless him. He's still a handsome bastard. Uh, what up, in Amanda Slice Sanity? I read yours already, walking more poet. Virginia, not having to work for money as long as I have retirement and grandkids. Hmm. Hmm. I won't be counting on retirement unless it's something you've put aside yourself, obviously. Uh, grandkids, 
Hey. Hopefully you don't have some of them lazy ones, you know, them lazy good-for-nothing work-shy ones. It's tricky with grandkids because you could raise an amazing kid, but then the amazing kid could, maybe their kids would rebel against them somehow and become awful. I mean, it's tricky, baby. Bob L. Fishman, I would mean... It would mean winning a great personal battle. I'd be stoked. You go and win, baby. Win that battle. Win that battle and terrorize them chitlins on your on your lawn. Do it from the ancestors. Unlock creativity, Long Island, New York. I look forward to being old so I can tell stories and share wisdom and knowledge with others. People say that, right? And then then uh and then like ignore old people. Put them in homes. Don't visit them. It's, it's so weird to think of all that wisdom locked away in all those places, you know. Um, yeah, I say liberate, liberate the oldsters. But, uh, I think we need to do more to integrate uh, oldsters with society more because uh, it does seem very strange things to do the way our society's gone in that regard. You know? Like shoving them off in places where they're not seen. It's very strange. They have so much that we need to know, you know. Michael Robards, Louisville, Kentucky. I look forward to being old and pleasing my wife. <laughs> ah, you lot. <laughs> Why is that so funny? Uh, working from home, Miss Superconductor. Uh, when I'm old, I want to sit around writing and crafting and enjoying family. That's a nice, wholesome message. Talking about pleasing people. Eat gods and little amphibians. Yo! Not too many messages. Oh. Let me see. Word XP Canada, Toronto, Canada. <laughs> Looking forward to looking like an old sage philosopher and having old man strength. Miss Superconductor, we read yours. Michael Robards, we read yours. Infamy. Robert Easley, Chicago. Looking forward to grand Georgia when I'm old. Crunchy to Dallas, Texas. To meet my grand and hopefully great grand children. To watch them grow and prepare for the future. Benjamin Gunn, WVUSA. I look forward to seeing how the world evolves. Good. Members time, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Looking forward to doing all the psychedelics and be a cool tripping old man psychonaut. There you go. Old man psychonaut is a good name for something. Zach Boston, I look forward to being so old uh, I can get sweet old man discounts at cool kids or whippersnappers. Whippersnappers. Yeah, I like that too. Whippersnapper. Adam says, activate Clint Eastwood vibes. I always think of Clint Eastwood. In that in that context. Always I do. Shout out to Clint Eastwood. What a guy. What a guy. Uh Guru dropping dabs and riding the meaning wave. Yay! Hey, shout out to you. Guys, you cheese in Ohio. When I'm old, I'll get to see what the trees I planted the last few years grow into. Hey, is that a metaphor? That's pretty. That's very pleasant. Noel DeShazo, Birmingham, Alabama. Sweet. I'm excited to hang out with my cats as much as I want without being judged because I'll be the crazy old cat lady. Get after it. Get after it. Uh, tape Damage, located at Tape Damage Productions headquarters in the future after the bombs dropped. What up? Full killer Maryland, the day I have satisfied myself with experiences and my dream comes to end, I return to the infinite. Yeah. Cedric says, if the music is too loud, turn your hearing aid down. 
words of the wise uh very nice word xp akira happy you talk to your pops your success will inspire him do you think yeah don't know my dad um the triode if my wife goes before i do i also look forward to being a hermit <laughs> shout out to the triode's wife sleep with one eye open <laughs> yo uh, andrew sandoku says i look forward to visiting other planets uh, matt carter says i'm looking forward to alien women what makes you think alien women are going to be interested in your old ass matt carter <laughs> Adam is looking forward to revisiting video games with no shame. I'm going to be a City Skylines boss at 70 years old. Get F-E after it. I'm on that one too. Psychedelics and video games. The life of an oldster. Come on, baby. It's going to be sick. Of course, though, you know, when you get to that point, it won't be like that. You'll be clinging on to life and like really, really, you know. You'll be riding, uh, what was that film with the guy and he rode a tractor all the way to visit his homie or something? We're doing some of, the, some of that type of shit. All right, baby, we've got an international audience. They're going to get an international high five and we're going to go in with this epic, epic set. Yes, we are. Three, two, one. You holding it? Yeah, better be. Well, brothers and sisters, without further ado, because we did have quite a lot of ado, didn't we? But, you know, sometimes ado is good. We like ado over here. The people who are live love the ado, and the people on the replay love the ado. Ado, do, do, da, da, da. Uh, that's what I got to say to you. Uh, Shouts out to Sting. Are you ready? Brothers and sisters, I would like to invite to the stage, uh, you know, the the incomparable, the incomparable uh, Viveki. Akira. Welcome back to Awakening from the Meaning Crisis. Uh, this is uh, our third time together. Last time we were talking about uh, more what was going on in shamanism and the Upper Paleolithic transition. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, the flow experience and how it integrates altered states of consciousness, something like, or at least on a continuum with mystical experiences and meaning making, uh, enhanced insight and intuition and how this uh, resulted in an enhanced capacity for metaphorical cognition which greatly expands uh, human cognition, makes it much more creative, uh, much more capable of generating all of those uh, fantastic connections in meaning uh, that drove the Upper Paleolithic transitions, explosion in culture and technology. And then we move to consider some other intervening revolutions that also had an impact. We talked briefly about 
uh, the Neolithic Revolution and the beginning of agriculture and then the rise of civilizations. We got into the Bronze Age civilization and then that led us into uh, the revolution we're concentrating on now, which is the Axial Revolution, a period around between 800 BCE and 300 BCE, following the Bronze Age Collapse. The Bronze Age Collapse, if you remember, was one of the greatest, if not the greatest collapse in civilization the world has ever seen. And that facilitated much more uh, experimentation in smaller scale societies. Uh, and that experimentation resulted in the creation of new psychotechnologies. One was alphabetic literacy happening in uh, the area of Canaan, and it's eventually going to be taken up very quickly by the Hebrews and then taken up by the Phoenicians and taken to the Greeks. The Greeks, as we'll see today, uh, or at least today or next time, uh, further improved it. We talked about how that Psychotechnology, Psychotechnology, alphabetic literacy, makes literacy more effective, uh, more efficiently learned, more powerful in its operation, greatly expands the number of people that can be literate, enhances the distributed cognition, and how that psychotechnology gets internalized into our metacognition and produces second-order thought. We get an enhanced awareness of our own cognition, both its power and its peril. We get an enhanced awareness of its capacity for self-correction and self-transcendence. We also get an enhanced awareness of its capacity for self-deception. We talked also about the invention of coinage to help deal with the mobile armies of this time and how that trains you in abstract symbolic thought and more rigorous mathematical reasoning. And that also gets internalized, it gets exapted, right? Uh, into second-order thinking, and people start to become aware of themselves in a different way. They start to become much more aware of the meaning-making nature of their, of their cognition, its capacity to generate illusion and self-deception, and also its capacity to break out of illusion and self-deception and to come into a contact with a more real world. So this leads to some fundamental changes. People start to become uh, more aware of their responsibility for the violence and the chaos and the suffering in their own lives. And they start to become aware of how much the transformation of mind or mind and heart, because in the actual age these terms are often referred to in a singular manner, how much transformation in the mind and heart is the way to alleviate suffering. So what starts to happen is the mythological framework Frame, framework and the way people are framing themselves and their world changes. Now let me explain to you how I'm using this word myth, because I'm not using it the way we standardly use it. Um, this, the, the use I'm going to talk about has been deeply influenced by people like Jung, uh, people like Tillich, um, Victor Turner, just a whole bunch of different thinkers. So when we use the word myth, we tend to mean a falsehood that is widely believed. Okay, and That's unfortunate. Uh, because we've lost the term for what I want to talk about. See, myths aren't false stories about the ancient past. They're symbolic stories about perennial patterns that are always with us. It's a very different thing. So, a lot of what's going on in myth is an attempt to take these intuitive, implicitly learned patterns and put them into some form that is shareable with ourselves and with each other. 
So, in the Bronze Age world, before the Axial Revolution, people experienced the world in what's been called by uh, Charles Taylor, like the continuous cosmos. Uh, I have a few questions about the use of the word cosmos, but we'll come back to that later. The idea here is human beings experience themselves in radical continuity, that, that sense of connectedness, right, that you see even back in the shamanic world, was very prevalent in the continuous cosmos. In the continuous cosmos, people feel there's a deep connection, a deep continuity between the natural world and the cultural world, and between the cultural world and the world of the gods. So the difference is, right, are, are not really differences so much in kind as they are in power. It, it's not odd that animals might talk, right? Or they might have sort of deep societies. It's not odd for us, for certain human individuals to think themselves divine. Like the greatest axial age, sorry, the, great, the greatest pre-axial age empire is Egypt. And the pharaoh is a god king something like a god. Why? For, uh, for us, we can only understand that at most metaphorically. Here's what you have to try and understand. It's not a metaphor for the ancient Egyptians. Why? Because the differences between right, human beings and the gods are differences in power. This is a cosmos that is experienced, where reality is experienced primarily in power, in terms of power. The gods are just more powerful than us, more glorious than us. You can even see this in the Old Testament, right? Where the, if, you, if you ask people, you can ask people, what, you know, what term is most often used of God? And people will say, you know, righteous or holy. Well, those are used quite often, but the term that's most used is glorious, shining with power. Which it's not a moral term at all. Say, think of the Greek gods. They're not moral exemplars at all. They're just extremely glorious and extremely powerful. The Egyptian king, the pharaoh, is extremely glorious and extremely powerful. So of course he's godlike or pot potentially even a god. So there's this continuous cosmos. And it's continuous in another way. Right? It moves like this. It moves in great cycles. Just like the seasons. Just like day and night. Time moves in large cycles that repeat through eternity. In fact, what you're often trying to do with your ritual behavior is you're trying to tap into this continuity. You're trying to get back to the original power of creation. So you often enact the metaphorical story, the myth of how the universe is created in order to try and tap into that creative power. There's a, there's a, there's a constant nostalgia for getting back. Right? And your attitude towards the world is you want to fit into these cycles. You want to be in harmony with them. You don't want to really change things a lot. Because if I change this, if I change my future, I'm actually undermining my past. 
very different way of relating to the world. So it's, there's this continuity between the natural world, the social world, and the divine world. And time is wrapped on itself in this really important way. Now what happens in the Axial Age is this way of looking at things is shattered. Now it doesn't go away. There's aspects of our thinking that are still like this, but what gets layered on top of it is a totally different worldview, a totally different mythology for understanding the relationship between the self and the world. So Charles Taylor talks about this as the great disembedding. When the Axial Revolution hits, this world is replaced by a different one. Now, again, I'm speaking mythologically here. People will talk about it mythologically, and you have to understand that doesn't mean the way we would think of it as a literal scientific thing, nor is it what we would merely call metaphorical. Mythological is neither scientific nor just metaphorical. Now, what's this new world? Well, this new mythological worldview uses a mythology of two worlds. The idea is, this is the everyday world. This is the world of the untrained mind. This is a world that is beset by self-deception, self-destruction, illusion, violence, chaos. It's a world in which we are out of touch with reality. But, opposed to this is the real world. Now mythologically you can talk about this as two worlds, but of course in a lot of the traditions the real world is just cutting through the illusion of the everyday world. But the idea is the real world is how the trained mind, the wise mind, sees the world. This is how the world looks when you're in touch with reality, when your mind is not beset by illusion and delusion. When you have that sense that this is how things really are. This is a world also in which there is reduced suffering and violence, precisely because the mind is not beset by foolishness, precisely because it is not out of touch with reality. Now here, wisdom is power-oriented. To be a wise individual is to learn how to acquire the power that was imbued at creation into the cycles. It's like energy is put into the system and it cycles around, and then energy is put in the system and it cycles around, and you want to tap into that power. Wisdom is how to tap into that power. Because what you're after is like long life live long and prosper, as it's in the Star Trek mythology for the Vulcans, right? You, you want to be prosperous, you want to live long, you want to be free of conflict, right? You want to provide security for your offspring. So that's a sense of wisdom that is still captured in our sense of the word prudence, right? Being very prudential is to have that sort of knowing how to fit into the power structures of your society, how to make things work for you, getting the most power and prosperity you can. But over here, there's a radical change. Wisdom changes, because look, you do not want to fit into this world. 
because this is the world of suffering and violence. It's a world in which you're out of touch with what's real. And as we'll talk about it later, you d deeply desire to be in touch with reality. It's one of your most powerful drives. You don't want to conform to this world. You want to be transformed out of this world. You want to move from here to here. Now notice what's happening here. The old shamanic enacted myth of soul flight flying above is being exapted into a new sense. It's being exapted into this sense of self-transcendence out of the everyday world into the real world. And wisdom is now knowing how to make that transformative leap. And meaning isn't about just connectedness as it was here, but a special kind of connectedness. A connectedness to the real world as opposed to a detrimental connectedness to an illusory world. So meaning is changing and the notion of wisdom is changing and the notion of yourself, what it is to be a self. Because here you're defined largely by how you fit in and of course that's always going to be part of our definition. I'm talking about emphasis here, I'm not talking about absolute differences, but here you're, de you're defined more by how you fit in. But here you're defined increasingly more by how you can self-transcend, self-transform. How you can grow as a person. Notice how pervasive this has become in our self-understanding. Notice how we don't like to be with people who aren't growing, who aren't somehow transcending, growing, which way do you, growing up, right? Becoming more mature, getting more in touch with themselves and reality. So, this is called the great disembedding because now we, we have a different relationship to the everyday world. And this is a metaphor that you don't see before, you don't see over here. This is the idea that we're somehow strangers in the world. We're pilgrims. We don't belong here, we belong there. Now as I keep saying, I mean some, pe some people of course will literalize this and this is really one world and another world. Most people will see this work, we talk about Plato and others. They're understanding this as a mythological representation for the process of self-transcendence and self-transformation. Once again, we see the acceptation, just like the shamans were engaged in acceptation, we see the acceptation of that shamanic ability into this new mythological framework. Okay, so there's three places that I want to talk about in particular about this because they're the ones that we're going to talk a lot about. I will mention uh, China periodically throughout, especially when I talk about Taoism, but I want to talk about Greece and ancient Israel because those are the two foundational world mythologies for us. Those are two places in which the actual revolution took place in a way that has become deeply, deeply constitutive of what we are, how we are still here 
in our minds, the way we experience ourselves and the world. I also want to talk about India because India is the source of that, of that, how do I put it? That source of the confluence between Buddhism and the Western world that we talked about in the first session together, the, the mindfulness revolution. Mindfulness is a psychotechnology that came from India. So the axial revolution of Siddhartha Gautama and the Buddha, we're going to talk about that. And what I want to talk about is how each one of these areas, in addition to the axial psychotechnologies of literacy and coinage, alphabetic literacy and coinage, right? how they also develop particular psychotechnologies that have become internalized. A lot of what you think is natural to you, just part of how your mind works, is actually culturally internalized. It has been generated historically and you have internalized it culturally and you think of it just as how your mind works. Think again about literacy. It is hard for you to remember, and I mean to reenact what it was like to not be able to think in, right, like literate terms, and to imagine words. In a similar way, a lot of these ways of thinking, these psychotechnologies have become so second nature to us that we forget the historical origin. And that's problematic because the degree to which we don't have a historical understanding is a degree to which we are going to be ignorant of the historical factors that are driving the meaning crisis. Let me foreshadow that meaning crisis right now. So this is a mere foreshadowing. We're going to come back to it. This is a mythological way of thinking which allows us to articulate and train the psychotechnologies of the axial revolution, these psychotechnologies of self-transcendence, of wisdom and enhanced meaning. But the problem is, this mythology is failing for us now. The scientific worldview is destroying the possibility of this for us. In a way that might seem sort of cosmically ironic, the scientific worldview is returning us to a continuous cosmos. There is no radical difference in kind between you and the primates that you evolved from naturally. There isn't some radical difference in kind between your mind and your embodied existence. Right? Science is leveling the world. We're returning to a one world. We're going to talk about that. But if we can no longer live in this mythology, and that's what mythologies are. They're, they, they have to be livable. People claim to believe this. Don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what you can practice. Tell me what's livable for you. For most of us, we can't live this anymore. We still talk this way, but we can't live it. So here's part of the problem. This is a foreshadowing. How do we salvage the ability to cultivate wisdom, self-transcendence, enhance meaning, overcome self-deception, realize, realize who we are and how the world is 
when we can no longer use the mythological worldview in which it was born. We are going through a re-embedding. It's been progressive and increasing. Right? Copernicus and Galileo re-embed us. Darwin re-embeds us. Einstein re-embeds us. We're being re-embedded back into the physical world, but we don't want to lose all that we gain through the great disembedding. How do we reconcile this? How do we live with the legacy of the actual revolution when we can no longer inhabit its worldview? That's part of the problem. That's only part. Now, the place I want to turn to first is Ancient Israel. Ancient, Israel. Ancient, Israel. Ancient Israel. As I mentioned, some of you have probably read parts of the Bible, or at least heard parts of the Bible, although biblical illiteracy is rising. Um, and that's problematic. Not, not because I think people should be Christians or Jews, I'm not here to proselytize, but the degree to which you don't have a grasp of the grammar of the Bible is a degree to which you don't have a grasp of the grammar of your own cognition. And you may say, yeah, I'm an atheist. I don't care. That's irrelevant. I'm not talking about what you say. I'm talking about how you think. There's a big difference there. Grammar is how you put thoughts together. It's not the vocabulary. It's not what you say. And so this is what Nietzsche meant. Like, when he said, I fear we are not getting rid of God because we still believe in grammar. We still talk this way. We still are filled with the God grammar of the Bible. And you say, no, I'm not. Yes, you go to a movie and you watch the person who falls in some way. And then they have an insight and they are redeemed and they find their way back. Maybe it's through Alcoholics Anonymous or they come out of addiction. That's biblical grammar. Okay? Again, what matters here is how it shapes our sense of self and world. I'm not advocating for a particular religion, but of course I am going to talk about the Judeo-Christian heritage precisely because I want to explain to you how these psychotechnologies have become part of the very grammar, not only of your cognition, but of your existential sense of being. So, there's an important, important psychotechnology that's invented, or at least significantly developed by ancient Israel. Perhaps it was influenced from Persia uh, through Zarathustra, but it's this idea. And when I say it, it's going to seem to you like, of course, but it's not of course. Even saying of course is important. Remember that. Here's the idea. It's a psychotechnology of understanding time as a cosmic narrative, as a story. It's applying something, again, that's universal. All cultures tell stories, and we'll talk about the cognitive science of this later. But you see, this isn't a story. This is a circle. It's a cycle. What kind of structure does a story have? Well, a story has a beginning. It has some crucial climax, turning point. And, it and there's a resolution. There's a direction to it. There's a purpose to it. So you get this idea of cosmic history, of 
using our skills for story to explain how the cosmos is unfolding through time. It's a radical idea. So, why is it radical? Well, notice the difference here. This, this is not an open future. Right? You are condemned to repeat. So, cultures where cyclical time is still prevalent, Eastern cultures, for example, the repetition of the cycle is onerous. It's horrible. People think reincarnation, for example, within an Indian context is a wonderful, I'll be born again. No, that's horrible. What you're trying to do is get free from those cycles. Because doing this again and again and again and again and again is terrifying. Moksha, you want freedom, nirvana, you want cessation, you want release from the cycle because there is no purpose to it. But here, the future's open. Your actions now can change the future. If you for figure out how to participate, remember that participatory knowing, if you figure out how to participate in the story, your actions can change the future. There isn't the all at once creation at the beginning. There's an ongoing creation through history and you can participate with God in the ongoing creation of the future. How? Because how do stories operate? They operate in terms of meaning and morality. How you make meaning, the moral content of your action decides how things are going to go. See, this is why the God of ancient Israel is such a different God. You look at the gods of the pre-axial world, look, you've got a God and it's a God of a place particular function. Here's the god of weaving, or here's the god of ancient Thebes, right? The gods are located in place, they're tied to a function, they have no significant moral arc attached to them. What's the god of the Old Testament? What's he or she like? It's not bound to time and place. Think of the great story of the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus. Where, right? Here you have the Israelites and they are imprisoned. They're imprisoned in the epitome of the Bronze Age world, Egypt. And God comes and liberates them and sets them on a journey towards a future that is promised, the promised land. This God moves through time and space. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the open future. That's why at first he has no name. Because to name something is to locate it, to specify it, to tie it down. And for the longest time this God has no name. And then when Moses finally challenges it and he reveals his name, he says, it's badly translated in the older versions of the Bible. It's often translated as I am that I am. But it actually, in the Hebrew means, I will be what I will be. I am the God of the open future. And you can participate with me in this, this ongoing creation of the future. Because you can shape it. 
you can cause it to come to resolution, but you can also cause it to go off course. The idea, when I said of course to you, remember? The sense of time passing as a course. We still take courses in university. This is what we have here. And you're looking for turning points where the course turns. And of course, that's what you're looking for in a movie. You know at some level that none of that is how the real world works. You know at some level, come on, you do, that your life doesn't unfold like a movie. Yet you love it. You love going to a movie. You love seeing this structure and participating in it. And there's the great turning point where something is learned or a problem is solved and there's resolution and the future is now made. So, this God is interested in, becomes progressively, now again, you can't point and say, there, there's where it changed in the Bible. You can see there's aspects of a preaxial God, but as you read through the New, as you read through the Old Testament, God becomes more and more axial, becomes more and more the deity of something that you now take for granted. Progress. The idea. And right, for us, it's not just an idea, right? It's, 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 it's in the lifeblood. It's in the very bones of your sense of self in your life. Is your life progressing? Or are you stuck? Is it moving forward? This is this idea. History progresses, and it can degenerate, and it can improve. God becomes more and more a representative of that. Now, 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 now. There's a term for these turning points. Kairos. It's developed by the theologian Paul Tillich. This is this sense of the crucial turning point. Getting things at the right time and the right place to turn things. Either, right, back on course or to further develop them. Now let's talk about that because again, we're going to go back to talking about these these senses of knowing that we've lost touch with. Important is this sense, the ah. So people sometimes note, and often humorously, that the Bible will talk about sex, sexual intercourse, with the verb knowing. So you'll get things like Adam knew his wife. He's like, what, what does that mean? has sex with us. The off in this sense. And it's like, what, why, what? We don't use sex as a metaphor for knowledge. You'd be surprised how many cultures actually do. Because this is again, this is a participatory sense. There's a course here and you're participating in it. Now, what do I mean by participating? You don't know it from the outside, just having beliefs about it or just having skills. You know it in this way. You know it by identifying with it. You change it while it's changing you. And you're changing it while it's changing you. You are immersed in it like a stream, like a course of a river. 
you are participating in it. When you're making love with somebody, you are participating in them. You're identifying with them, empathizing with them, resonating with them. You are changing them as they are changing you. And it rises, forgive me the pun, to a climax, to a turning point, to a resolution. See, in ancient Israel, faith, this term has become useless for us now, but faith didn't mean believing ridiculous things for which there is no evidence. That is, that is not, that is a recent idea. That is not what it meant. Faith was your sense of dahat. Faith was your sense that you're in this reciprocal realization. You're in course. You're on course. You're involved and evolving with things. It's your sense, ah, I'm on course, or even your sense, ah, this is the turning point, and I, I know what to do. I know who I need to change into. I knew how to turn myself and things. Notice you have this in your relationships. You'll often be asking yourself, how's this relationship going? Is it on course? Is it progressing? Is it growing? Is this the kind of person I want to be? What's my, am I becoming? What's my sense of how I'm changing? Is this all going well? That's the ah. Now, of course, you can get it wrong. You can think you're on course when you're actually dramatically off course. You're trespassing to use older biblical language, you're, you're walking off the path. You're no longer on course. That's, that's the a basis of a word that we can't use anymore again because of our biblical literacy and the fact that we've lost touch with this sense of knowing. In fact, this word, many people treat this word almost like, like a, a comical word, sin. Sinning isn't just doing something very immoral. Right? In the New Testament, the word that translates this is when you're shooting a bow and arrow. So if you've done archery, you can't shoot for where your eye tells you to look because you'll actually miss the bullseye. You have to have a kind of faith to sense right, where you need to actually shoot so you don't miss the mark. So the idea here is I'm trying to sense the course of things and if I'm self-deluded or illusory, I'm actually dramatically off course without realizing it. That's the original meaning. And so the idea is that human beings are thrown into this universe in which they have the option, because it's an open future, of participating in the creation of the future. But of course, human beings sin in the sense that they are self-deceptive. They go off course. So notice what the Hebrews are doing. They're taking this movement from the everyday world to the real world, and they're turning it into a historical story. The way you go from the false world to the real world is you start now and you move towards the promised land. They understand it historically. But human beings sin. 
they make decisions that steer the course of history away from its culmination. And so the idea is God has to intervene periodically. God has to redeem. God has to do something to wake people up, to remind them, to help them to sense how they've gone off course and so that they can come back on course. And so what you have is you have in the Old Testament, you have the creation of the prophetic tradition, prophets. Here's another thing that we've lost the sense of. A prophet is not somebody who, for, who tells the future like some sort of psychic. Okay, prophecy isn't about telling you what's going to be happening 200 or 300 years from now. Prophecy means a telling forth. Yeah, the job of the prophet is to wake you up right now to how you are off course. So, a better analogy isn't the psychic when you so when you go to the psychic and oh you will meet a tall dark stranger or some crap like that. That's not a good analogy for a prophet. A better prophet is when you and your loved one go into therapy and the therapist says something and it wakes you up to holy crap. This is how I'm going wrong. This is how I'm off course. This is how I need to get back on track. That's the job of a prophet. And what you have in the prophetic tradition is you have an increasing emphasis on the morality of human decision making. More and more, and again, it's not perfect. There's all kinds of pre-axial stuff that's still woven in there and mixed up with it and mashed up with it. But you do have more and more this discussion, this exhortation to wake up to your moral responsibility for helping everybody to get back on track and to turn things back towards the promised land. This idea of justice and righteousness and waking up so that we get back on track become endemic. Now, now think about how much, and I've tried to show you three examples, how much this is just how you naturally think of yourself. You think of yourself as somebody who's on a journey. You're starting here and you're trying to make a better self and you're trying to make the right decisions. You're trying to steer things. You want your life to progress. You want your culture to progress. Try to think about what, how you would understand yourself, how you would judge yourself, and you couldn't make use of this notion of progress. So, what starts to happen is a commitment to more and more trying to cultivate the wisdom of deeply remembering God, which doesn't mean reciting beliefs, it means participating, participating in the ongoing creation of the world, shaping the future, helping yourself, your neighbors, and your society 
progress, where that progress is measured mostly in terms of moral improvement, increasing justice, increasing flourishing, increasing sense of people living up to their promise. And this is what I ask you. Do you feel like you're living up to your promise? Is it an important thing for you? If it is, and I feel it's probably the case that for many of you it is, that very way of thinking, that's part of the grammar that we have inherited from the Hebrews. It's part of the very way we think. It's part of the warp and woof of our cognition. Now we're going to come back to this trend. We're going to come back and look at a particular way of understanding Kairos that became right, central in Christianity. Because what Christianity did is it made a really radical claim. It claimed that this Kairos was found in a particular person. And what's that, what, that, what that's going to do is it's going to personalize all of this in a really dramatic way. But before we do that, I want to switch back over to what's happening at a similar time in ancient Greece. So as I mentioned, the psychotechnology of alphabetic literacy is taken to the Greeks, but the Greeks do something that's very important, and it helps to explain right, some of the differences we see in the Greek Axial Revolution from the ancient Hebrew Axial Revolution. Now the Greeks do something that, again, seems inconsequential now, but they add vowels to the alphabet. And it's like, oh wow, so what? Well, the thing is, when you add vowels, you really, again, increase how easy it is to process information. So let's stop here because we need to do a bit cognitive science. Because this ease of processing really matters. So I want to introduce you to an important idea from cognitive science. This is the idea of cognitive fluency. So, we've got increasing experimental evidence for this basic kind of fact. When you increase the ease at which people can process information, regardless of what that information is, they come to believe it is more real, they have more confidence in it, etc. Now, that can be something very simple. It can be as simple as changing the font contrast between the letters and the page. So, Consider two individuals, Tom and Susan. Tom is reading uh, words in which the color contrast between the letters and the page isn't as good as the color contrast that Susan's reading. They're reading exactly the same thing. They can both clearly read it. It's just the font difference makes it easier for Susan than for Tom. They read the same thing. If you ask both of them, well, how true is what you read? Susan's more likely to say that was true. She's more likely to have confidence in it, regardless of the content. The fluency of your processing actually increases your confidence in it, your sense of how real the picture it's giving you is. Now, it's not really ease in some simple sense because right, it has to do more with how well your brain is accessing information, applying it. It's very complicated. Right? But what I'm telling you is when I do something that increases 
your cognitive fluency, you get an enhanced sense of your brain. Your brain get, generates an enhanced sense that you're actually in touch with it. We'll talk about this later. That turns out to be a good policy your brain is using. It's a very good idea for your brain to try and use the fluency of its own processing as a measure of how much it's in touch with reality. By the way, when you get a lot of fluency, you of course are going to get into the flow state. So, so when so, the so, Greeks so, introduced so, vowels, they improve the fluency of alphabetic literacy. They ramp up how powerful it is. They also do introduce something else. They introduce a standardized reading from left to right, which you now take for granted. Many of you know that other languages go the other way. Hebrew is read this way, for example. That has an impact on your cognition. First of all, it's standardized. That improves the fluency. Why does it improve your fluency? When this is standard, you know always, if you look at Egyptian hieroglyphs, they can go up, they can go down, they can go this way, they can go that way. When you standardize things, that increases the fluency of the processing. So they ratchet up this power of literacy to enhance cognition. They're also developing something else. So the Greeks don't form a unified nation state. They have individual city-states that are in competition with each other. And in Athens in particular, and Athens is going to be the hotbed of the Axial Revolution in Greece, although not the only place. In Athens, you have slowly the emergence of democracy. Now, it's, it's a particularly problematic form of democracy. It's direct democracy. We'll talk about stuff like that later. But what this does is this puts a premium on argumentation and debate. So the Greeks start to, start, start, to sort start, of start, speed up, up the actual revolution in their own cognition. They enhance the effects of alphabetic literacy. They enhance right, the use of reason and reflection. And so they start to do things that, again, don't happen before. Lots of cultures were doing arithmetic, but the Greeks invent mathematics. They invent geometry. They start to create abstract symbol systems for their own sake. Now that's what's going on in what's basically being invented in ancient Greece is this capacity for rational argumentation. That's the psychotechnology. Again, you think of this, now, I want to be clear here, I'm not claiming that other groups or people are irrational or they can't be reasonable. I'm not being ethnocentric, but you get the explicit training of rational argumentation as a core psychotechnology in ancient Greece. Now that is going to have very important consequences. Now what's interesting again is how this comes in to ancient Greece. I'm going to introduce you to two individuals who are sort of the epitome of the Axial Revolution in Greece. Pythagoras and 
Socrates. You know Pythagoras, of course, because of an important mathematical theorem, the Pythagorean theorem. Now, Pythagoras is a very interesting person because he seems to be, he, he belongs to, Cornfield makes this argument very well, right? Cornfield makes this argument very well. He belongs to a group, a group of individuals that are around, you know, sort of just coming out of that dark age, around 600 BCE. These individuals were called the divine men. It's pretty clear that these men seem to represent a rediscovery of shamanic psychotechnologies. They seem to, they have a lot of associations with sort of capacities for healing, for flying through the air. And so a lot of this is, is legendary, right? It's mythological, it's not literal. But Pythagoras is a, a real person. Now, of course, there's lots and lots of legendary material around him, but the legend even points towards these important aspects. He seems to have gone through shamanic training. <clears throat> he engaged in something called the Thunderstone Ceremony, which involved him isolating himself in a cave, going through some radical transformation, and then coming out of it. He seems to have experienced soul flight because he talked about the capacity for the psyche to be liberated from the body. He was very tall and he dressed like a god, but no one found it offensive for him to do so, at least not the people that followed him. He discovers, and this, right, he, he discovers the octave. He discovers that there's mathematical proportions in the world. He comes to this realization that this new psychotechnologies of rational reflection and mathematics give us access to abstract patterns that we are not directly aware of. Like we all take it for granted that we know what an octave is and we know that it can be expressed by ratios, but that was his discovery. So what he does is he takes this idea about realizing through music and math these abstract patterns and then he links them to the project, the shamanic ability to engage in self-transcendence. He comes up with the idea that we're somehow trapped in this world, but we can learn to fly above it, we can fly free. Like the shaman, but he's allied it explicitly to the actual project of self-transcendence, of getting in touch with the rationally realized patterns, because that will liberate us, that will change and transform us. Now Pythagoras gives us a lot of the words that we take for granted. I said earlier that I didn't like calling the pre-axial world a cosmos because Pythagoras actually invents this word, cosmos. He's the first person to describe the universe as a cosmos. Now many of you probably treat those two terms as synonymous, universe, one verse, and cosmos. They're not. Try to think of a word that's actually related to cosmos that you're familiar with. 
So the word that might not come to mind is the word cosmetic. Cosmetics come from cosmos. What do cosmetics do? They right, reveal the beauty of things, how beautiful and ordered they are. So Pythagoras has the idea that if we, go, we can use music and mathematical thinking and practices that engage in this altered state of consciousness, and he's integrating them all together, it's not quite clear how, but what we can do is we can transcend and see the world as beautiful. And we're going to come back and talk about this, how when people have awakening experiences, they suddenly experience the world as a cosmos, as radically beautiful. Now remember Pythagoras, because he's going to have a huge influence on somebody we're going to talk about, Plato. But there's somebody who had an even greater influence on Plato, and somebody who really epitomizes the axial revolution in ancient Greece. In fact, he has a revolution named after him. It's called the Socratic Revolution. And the person we want to talk about is Socrates. I'm going to argue how Socrates epitomizes the Greek form of the Axial Revolution. And then what we're going to do is we're going to see how Plato takes Socrates and Pythagoras and puts them together, and how Socratic Platonic, your cognition is, how it's part of the grammar of how you think. But once again, even though that's the grammar of how we understand meaning and wisdom and what a self is and how we, how we grow, how we self-transcend, how we get in touch with reality, we are no longer in the worldview of Pythagoras. Do we... Do you actually, I mean this seriously, do you actually experience the universe as a cosmos? We'll take a look at that next time. And together, thank you very much for your time. Make some noise for John Vavakai and AK. Yo, baby, we going deep here on that meaning crisis in chill. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed that very much. This is very, very enjoyable to do, I gotta say. Uh, playing lush tracks and listening to Viveki go deep and it's really nice because this is the second time I've listened to this so it's uh, it's really good to revisit and uh, get extra layers sometimes I remember when I was first listening to it he'd say something and then that would make me think of something and then I'd be like oh hang on I missed what he just said because I was thinking of something because he said something and then I'd have to try and rewind it and then I'd like nearly crash my scooter and then sometimes I would scratch my scooter because uh, if, you, if, if you weren't aware uh, I basically was listening to this series uh, on my on my journeys to the studio when I lived in Los Angeles, and I would I would ride from West Hollywood to uh, downtown Los Angeles on an e-scooter, listening to uh, that, you know, 
And uh, it was a very enjoyable thing. It was a very, it's one of those periods of my life that, life that I look back on fondly. You have these periods where you're doing something. And oftentimes the thing you're doing at the time, I don't know, sometimes, sometimes you know, scooting, uh, scooting miles and miles and miles across Los Angeles can be quite grueling and what have you. But there's a freedom and, and a joy in, uh, in, the, in the constraints of that journey, which, which I, I adored. It reminds me in ways of when I was uh, training. I was in training, I was, uh, I was in Wales. Uh, getting ready to move to America. We'd, we'd gone to Wales because it was cheap there and, and we were preparing to move, you know, and uh, we were saving some money and I was running on the beach barefoot in the sand like a fucking stallion, uh, you know, like a, like a big white horse uh, every night listening to Joey Diaz and stuff. And felt like that, you know. Something powerful in that. Anyway, make some noise! By Jove. For Vivek John. Gonna keep it the dawn. Meaning crisis and chill. How did you all enjoy that by Jove? Amanda Lysanacy says, that's it, I'm getting a scooter. <laughs> Yo. You can put the chat up on the screen, make some noise. Boop, boop. Hey, hey, hey. Levels of meaning. Levels of meaning. Let's see, how did everyone find that? What did everyone think of that? Who's living cosmically? ACD, a cosmic individual, says the Defy. Indeed. You dig. Oh, man, says D-Man. Guitar, XG Coos, says big mood. Big mood vibes. Adam's having trouble using custom emojis. Uh, big shout out to uh, everyone who was super chatting during that. You are very much appreciated. Thank you, Adam. Said something I didn't know I needed tonight. I appreciate it. Appreciate you, baby. Adam, again, this is powerfully chill. I enjoy it, and I enjoy enjoying things. Indeed. Bob L. Fishman, I enjoy Adam enjoying things. Well, that's nice. It's a wave of enjoyment right there. Uh, Bob L. Fishman, God bless. God bless. Timothy Delgato, what bless? There's a little wrist. A little wrist. Wrist, wrist, wrist. Indeed. Indeed. Crunchy says, thanks for the beats. Yo. Walking Mall Poe says, as always, Cosmos tier content, Akira. Hey, God bless. Hey, what up, Dan? Shouts out to Dan, says, recently found your stuff. Especially love the Christmas beats. Tis the season. Truly it is. Truly it is, Dan. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you for being here. If you need Christmas music, we got you covered, baby. Uh, we got like four lo-fi Christmas albums. We got a big old Christmas playlist over on uh, El Spotify. We've got a bunch of Christmas mixes on this channel. And we actually have a 24-7 streaming lo-fi Christmas radio station on our second channel. By Jove. On our second channel, speaking of which, the second channel we've now decided that's going to be a place for clips of uh, bits of these streams that should be clipped. So a clip on YouTube is usually sort of five to 15 minutes, I guess. So if any of you ever spot anything that happens in these streams that you think should be a clip, or if you have an idea of something from a previous show that should really, really be a clip, uh, hit up YouTube Hero Alex in the Discord. We're assembling a, a clipping army, an army of uh, bad clipping mama jammers, you know, uh, to, uh, to do, that, do that epic job. And, uh, you know, isolate, isolate the diamonds, isolate the diamonds, because bizarrely, I know you do because you're here, but not everybody 
can uh, sit through, you know, three, two, three, four hour long streams. Some people just can't do it. Some people can only listen to things if they're seven minutes long. Some people can only watch things if they're seven minutes long. That's just the nature of the beast and the nature of man. And I suspect in one of these meaning, uh, meaning, meaning crises and chills, we'll discover why that is. There's a lot of powerful information packed into these things. Uh, Zach's in the house says I was having a horrible night at work. This Turk talk, Turk talk, this talk turned it around. Made me stop thinking of dumb stuff at work. Thanks, Akira. Hey, God bless, baby. That is an important thing to do, uh, is to uh, stop thinking about dumb stuff. And uh, occupy your mind with things of import and usefulness. And uh, you know there's that thing in... Um, there's so much embedded wisdom. There's, have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? Have you ever seen The Wizard of Oz? In The Wizard of Oz, there's a key. A key to overcoming uh, anxiousness and fear and horror and, uh, and dismemberment and things of that nature. You know, sometimes you're, you're dismembered. You know what I mean? You're, uh, you're lost in your, in, your, in your worries, in your fears, things of that nature. Anxiety, confusion, depression, worry. Uh, praying for things you don't want. That's worry, right? Uh, you, don't, you can escape from that anytime you want. And what they do in The Wizard of Oz, I just remember this, uh, is she does the red shoes, right? She clicks her shoes. And then she can go home. She can go to wake up from the dream, right? And she can go home. You can always do that in life. And it's the thing I've been doing for many, many years to the point that I just do it automatically without thinking. And that's if I'm ever starting to sort of uh, escape the moment, so to say. Once you try and be in the moment as much as possible, right? That's how you have a rich and fulfilling and powerful life. You live in the moment. Anytime you're in the past or in the, in the future, you're not in the moment and you're wasting that moment, you know? You're going to get to the future eventually anyway. Why worry about it? And the past, like that, that's 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 past. Uh, anyway, uh, you can uh, just click those. You click those shoes, right? That's what Dorothy does. And uh, what I do is uh, I sort of I stretch my hand. Is my thing. So it makes me aware of of my physicality, and it makes me aware of of my body, which makes me aware of the situation I'm currently in, in this existence, which is you know. Uh, inhabiting this this body and and uh, engaging in the, in this world in this process. So this guy, this, I do this. I kind of stretch the hand, almost as if I was like summoning some power, like a ball of power, like I was a comic book uh, creature, you know. And I do that, and I find out as I just do that uh, automatically. I don't even think about it. If I start getting a bit anxious or something, I just do that. It works if you're getting into an argument. Uh, or if you're getting in a physical confrontation, or any kind of thing where you need to, uh, you know, not get lost in in emotions or confusion or sadness or worrying or anything like that, uh, all I do is I sort of like flex the hand, which reminds myself that the hand exists, and then uh, you can kind of feel energy running up the arm and then into the body, and then next thing you know, you're not worrying about the future or the past or anything at all, and you're firmly in the present again. And uh, in the present, you have the power, uh, like like He-Man, you know. He-Man had the power, and he, that was a... Uh, and that was a really good thing to be uh, rec reminded of as a child, you know? Uh, on a Saturday morning or whenever it was they showed that cartoon. Ah, oh, yeah, I have the power, you know? Just, he does the rising up of the sword, you know? And that reminds him of his power. But you can literally just, just something like uh, flexing your hand. Just flexing a hand, or, uh, or yeah, I, I, I say flexing the hand. Flexing the hand is good. Uh, conjure up the, the ball of uh, 
of energy. You know, I always always visualize uh, like Jack Kirby as crackles, like that type of thing. Uh, So anyway, yeah, try that. Uh, But yeah, just did. uh, My wife is she was listening to a podcast and someone was uh, telling her to do that, and that's been very helpful. Something like that, something similar. And uh, that was very helpful to her. And it reminded me that I've just been doing that naturally for a, for a long time now. Ever since, I think I, heard, I read uh, Mike Cernovich talk about something like that uh, in his Gorilla Mindset book, which is an excellent book and was uh, very, very useful to me uh, when I first read it about five, six years ago. And, uh, and it just dawned on me just now, that's what Dorothy's doing. That's that thing, right? Just remembering you're in a dream. Remember you're in a dream, baby. Remember you're in a dream, and anytime you want to wake up, zoom. Anyway, I'm not sure what that's got to do with meaning crisis and chill, or why I just thought of that, but here we are. Uh, Adam says, flex the hand, look at the flick of the wrist. Whoop! Exactly. Exactly. Those boys know what's up. Anyway, shouts out to you lot. Uh, speaking of flex the fingers, uh, didn't they talk about that in Dune? Flex the fingers. They talk about it in the Dune, don't they? And guess what? Tomorrow's Dune. Dune way. Hurrah. Uh, Barbell Fishman says grounding. Akira the Don, it's the chakra. Start at your feet and move up is how I was taught. Ah. Ah. Uh, that would work as well. Yeah. Uh, grounding. Very nice. Uh... Yeah, you could do that. You could just sort of flex, flex a foot, I guess. Anyway, um, Dan Frank says, I was just contemplating how to frame the importance of Christian thoughts on evolution of Western civilization. More needed on how it has influenced the collective unconscious. Uh, we'll be getting into that. We'll be getting into that. I love the way uh, when you're listening to uh, Meaning Crisis, John Viveki, he's saying, we'll be getting into that. We'll be getting into that because we will. We'll be getting into that. We'll be getting into a great deal with the meaning work crisis and chill. And uh, yes, we look forward to that. We'll do it again next week. Uh, Word XP says that's like charging chi. Could be. I've n- I've uh, I've not uh, read much about chi. Really? Is that like the force? It's like the force, right? You got to bear in mind. Um, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm very much uh, self-educated. Some stuff you'd think I might know about, I really don't. Uh, Dan says, bro, I didn't know you were a philosopher. Who's that? I'm practical. Personally, I'm practical. And uh, this thing, the the flex thing was because I remember I first started trying that and like when I was walking around New York uh, in like 2005. You know, I was out there and I just, I was uh, signing my first record deal and it was this bizarre adventure. And I'd be getting in confrontations and conflicts and things of that nature. And I don't know if you, you ever used to get this, like when you're uh, in, in in some kind of conflict situation, you might start shaking a bit, right? You ever get that? You start shaking a bit and, and uh, or you, you know, I, I used to, and I, I taught myself to do the Vulcan high five, uh, sorry, the Vulcan symbol, just from doing this flexing of the hand thing, which I would use to kind of, uh, bring myself back into the moment so to speak and uh, I started doing that without really realizing I was doing that yeah like uh, in 2005 I think I think so yes yes Uh, anyway Shout out to everybody loves in life. Make some noise for yourselves. Mason says, loving everything Shaman Viveki is saying. 
and it's just the beginning, baby. It's just the beginning. Like, it's just the intro. This is just the intro. Might do, maybe I'll do a double bill. Maybe I'll do a couple of double bills. Um, what up, Luke? Appreciate you. Says a uh, uh, $5 super chat just because you're you. Well, that's a good enough reason. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Honey Badger TV says self-education is the answer. What's the question? YouTube Hero Alex says drop timestamps in the Discord. Yeah, if anyone wants to help with the clipping, clip army, make some noise and holler at uh, YouTube Hero Alex. Uh, it could be as simple as just uh, dropping a timestamp for a bit that you thought was cool. Uh, and where it begins, where it ends, what you think it was cool. Uh, or if you're any good at actual video editing, maybe you want to actually edit it out yourself and, uh, and send that over to YouTube Hero Alex or something. Uh, whatever, you, whatever you can do uh, to help with the, uh, the clipping situation. God bless. D-Man, Leonard Nimoy is smiling down. We smiling up. God bless. God bless. What a wonderful man. And, um, what a wonderful man. John Hannibal Smith, is it cold in Texas? Uh, it's a little cold right now. It's really nice. It's really fresh right now. Right now, it's very, very fresh. Um, you know, it's not too cold. Like, I was out earlier. What was I wearing? I was wearing my Meaning Wave Lo-Fi Christmas hoodie. I didn't have anything on underneath it, you know, and some and my Meaning Wave Christmas velvet trousers. Uh, it's just the coziest outfit on earth. I don't want to wear anything else. I don't want to wear anything else ever again. Ever again. Uh, Meaning Wave velvet pants are the coziest pants I've ever worn in my life. They're incredible. And uh, the hoodies uh, we've got going right now, these uh, are just so cozy. Ugh. Ugh. I'm going to get me, like, multiple ones for every day of the week, and that's just gonna, what I'm going to wear. You know the way uh, them creepy Silicon Valley types always wear the same thing, you know? Uh, which is kind of smart, because it just takes one less thing to worry about. If every day you're going to wear exactly the same shirt, you ain't got to think about that aspect of your life and that bit of energy that you devote to being like, oh, what the fuck am I going to wear? You, you can devote that to something useful, like, I don't know, inventing, uh, uh, you know, time travel or something. Oh. Zach Sounds at Alex or Akira, do we know when the first international high five was? That's something we need to clip immediately. No, I have no idea. Was it on the first episode? Was it uh, before the first episode? Did we do an international high five on one of the Ask Akira's? Who knows? Dan says, what kind of headphones do you use, JW? Who's JW? Adam, I got four of the same hoodies. <laughs> nice. In Manus Lysanis, he says, that's why I only take showers on Mondays. Now that doesn't make any sense. Yo. WMIV says it was Asuka Kira. Uh, yeah, there you go. See, the, the genesis of this thing. The genesis of this thing. Dan says, JW, just wondering. Oh, okay. I don't know. These ones are some pioneers. These are some pioneer DJ. I don't know what number. I don't know what number. And uh, in the studio, I got some Behringers that I mainly just use when I'm tracking vocals. I don't really mix in headphones. Uh, I have the room like very, very audio treated and I kind of recognize the, how it sounds in there. And, yeah, that's the vibes. That's the vibes. What up, Ganjiguro says, I love the vibe, bro. Speaking of vibes. Oh. What up, Calais? How you doing? Hi, gang. Well, that was our show. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. 
We'll be back tomorrow morning. Uh, Twitch, 7 a.m. 7 a.m. We'll be here doing a, one of our epic DJ sets. Uh, on Monday, we did the 90s. On Tuesday, we did the 80s. So just for symmetry, I think tomorrow we're going to do the 70s. And uh, maybe we'll just keep time traveling until we get to uh, Plato. Maybe not. Maybe we won't go that far. We probably won't. But uh, yeah, I think we can do 70s vibes tomorrow. Well, 70s and 70s adjacent. I always say decade and decade adjacent because I like to sometimes play music that was inspired by that era or a remix of something that's got aspects of something or some other place or whatever it is, you know? Um, you know, if I'm playing a 70s and 70s adjacent set, then maybe it'll involve uh, some remixing or whatever. Anyway, we'll just see. We shall see. Um, however, yeah, join us tomorrow, 7 a.m. CT on Twitch for that. And tomorrow night we'll be here for the Dune Wave Audio Book Club, the legendary, epic, rare, and glorious uh, live event where we live score, live soundtrack, uh, Frank Herbert's Dune audiobook and we're quite deep into it now we did a double bill last week uh so we're on episode 12 uh tomorrow and uh it's very dope if you've never heard it before uh you can jump in it's a jump inable thing you won't know what's going on until people say hey here's the recap and then you get a recap and then you know what's going on don't worry about it it's dope it's aesthetically glorious uh ear candy whichever way you look at it by jove uh, so yeah, thank you very much to everyone who's here tonight. Thank you to everyone who supported. Thank you, Michael Robards. Thank you, Alan Morand. Uh, thank you, Bob L. Fishman. Thank you, Darren Rivas. Welcome uh, to level one. Akira. Choo choo. Bye, guys. to bless up. Um, who else? We got a shout out. Adam. Double shout out for Adam. Bob L. Fishman, of course. Dan. Bless up and Luke. Thank you, everyone who supports this thing. Shout out to all the members. Uh, we dropped a new mix for you this week. If you haven't downloaded that yet, you can go download that. It's waiting for you. There's a mix on the community tab for the members. Uh, I was also having a chat with uh, Alex, legendary Alex, about some stuff that we could do for uh, exclusively for channel members. Uh, so we'll let you know about that soon. And uh, what else do we need to know? I think that's about it, you know? I think that's the vibes for right now. If you want to support the wave, of course, uh, there's lots of ways you can do that, and the links are in the description of the broadcast. The easiest thing to do, I would say, is go to meaningwave.com. There you can get yourself an epic clothing, like the clothing I have, and you can find the donate link in the top right, which is at akiradadon.com slash, uh, no, it's not, meaningwave.com slash pages slash donate, and there's the Bitcoin link, the Venmo link, the PayPal, the Cash App, the Patreon. We got one of those, all that business, you know? Uh, you can also check out our playlists on your favorite platforms. Uh, we've got playlists on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. Uh, currently, our Lo-Fi Christmas playlist on uh, on Spotify is very, very popular. It's a very, very popular playlist. Um, you know, it's, it's very, very popular, so go check that out if you like. Uh, our Spotify is really exploding right now. Even though they censored us this year and removed us from all of the end-of-year lists, uh, we've uh, 193 thousand uh listeners in the past 28 days uh we had our biggest day ever today uh just in one day today we had 81,000 listeners on spotify uh which is nice a shout out to spotify and uh you know appreciate all of the platforms uh upon which we operate our various lemonade stands you know and by the way if there's somewhere you think we should set up one of our meaning wave lemonade stands if there's an area of the internet where we don't currently have a presence and you think we should please do let us know 
uh, let us know. You can let YouTube hero Alex know in the Discord, uh, and he will let us know. But uh, I'm fully, fully aware of how the internet works, and you know, it's basically a bunch of uh, of kind of interconnected planets in a vast universe, and some people never leave the planet they're on. And if you don't go to their planet with your lemonade stand, they're never going to drink your lemonade, and why should they? So I know how that works. So if you know a planet on the internet where we should be, please do let us know. Bob L. Fishman says, MySpace. <laughs> is MySpace still there? I bet it is. God bless. I had a letter from someone the other day who said, oh, hey, uh, I listen to you on Napster. I can't remember the rest of the message. It was something like, uh, would love to support you, but, or something. But then he's like, I listen to you on Napster. I was like, that's epic. Napster still exists. People are still on there. That's very cool. Yeah. Nanashi, is there a Bruce Lee Be Water, my friend, Meaning Wave remix? Not yet. Not yet. It does seem like that would be something that people would like to hear, doesn't it? It does sound like something that should be on Meaning Wave Masterpieces 3, doesn't it? It does, yes. It does sound like that. John Hannibal Smith says, Friendster. Is Friendster still there? That was my first one. That was my first one, baby. That's where they first got me. You know, Friendster seemed so nice. It was so friendly. It was just fun, you know? Just, oh, dear. Now look at us. My goodness. Yo! Word XP says we need a Meaning Wave video game. Yeah, Hercules keeps saying that. He keeps making ones on his uh, Pixel programs. You know, Kalesa's Bear Share. Shouts out to Bear Share. Shouts out to Audio Galaxy. Them rare ones, you know. Shouts out to Kazar. You know, I got my first STD on Kazar. Yo, yo. I actually did the thing where I downloaded uh, a song. And uh, I think it was labeled as like Eminem Freestyle and it was actually Soldier Boy. And when it later turned out the Soldier Boy, who's a genius, was just uploading his own songs but just titling them like, you know, 50 Cent in the club or whatever. So then people would download those shits. And uh, Soldier Boy up in the... Oh! What a genius that boy was and remains by Jove. He's now an Alibaba G. He's now up on Alibaba, like, uh, shot in, you know, video game systems and and mug holders and, and shit of that in Asia. Coffee, coffee machines, what a guy. Anyway, time to get after it and time to go for the revise. God bless. Uh, all that remains for us to do is that international buy five. Oh yeah, do remember to let someone know today that Meaning Wave exists, of course. That's your homework. Let someone know in the next 24 hours who does not currently know that Meaning Wave exists. And there's lots of ways you could do that. You could just like raid someone's comment section. Uh, you could run up to someone in the street. You know, you could, uh, you could write it on a note and put it under someone's windshield. Wiper, you know, there's lots of ways you could do it, but that's your homework for today. Let someone know Meaning Wave exists and check back here tomorrow night and uh, let us know how you get on. How about that? And uh, if there's video evidence of it happening, send that to me and I'll post it on my Instagram. How about that? God bless, baby Soldier Boy exists. Uh, Meaning Wave exists. Um, Bob L. Fishman exists. Sammy Edwards exists. 2076 exists. N uh, Ganjiguru exists. Nightbot exists, Adam exists, and YouTube Hero Alex definitely, definitely exists. You know, and thank, thank God for that. Thank you for being here. We'll be back. We'll be back, baby. Au revoir. Uh, go hang out at Meaning Wave Radio 24-7, Lo-Fi Christmas, if you like, if you want to hang out somewhere else. Daniel Pessy said, I told my counselor tonight Meaning Wave exists. Now that's righteous. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. Sweet dreams are made of these. 
Thank God for Sugar Knight, indeed, indeed. God bless. <laughs> Send a t-shirt. All right, bye.